The following day, the gang attacked another caravan. After the event, a traveler from the caravan approached the circle of bandits who were taking their lunch. Who is your leader? he asked the group. He is on the other side of that tree by the river. He's praying. The traveler was confused. But it isn't time for prayer. He is praying supererogatory prayers, he was told. Why is he not eating with you? asked the traveler. He's fasting. He is performing a supererogatory fast, said the thieves. The flabbergasted traveler approached Al-Fudel, who was praying with great concentration. When the bandit had finished his prayers, the traveler addressed him. How can you fast and pray and at the same time rob and murder Muslims? Al-Fudel turned to him and asked, Do you know the Qur'an? The traveler replied in the affirmative. Well then, does not God, who is exalted, say, And others have confessed their sins. They have mixed a righteous deed with another evil? leaving the traveler dumbfounded. His life continued in this strange, dissociative way, mixing crime and piety until one night. As he was atop a wall on the lookout for plunder, for more plunder, a caravan passed, and Al-Fudel heard the traveler reciting, Is it not time that the hearts of those who believe should be humbled to the remembrance of God? Al-Fudel was thunderstruck. His heart pierced to the core, and he cried out, It is high time indeed, nay. It is well past high time. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Safina Society podcast. I'm your host, Mu'in Sayyid, and today you're listening to the stories of the Awliya. In today's episode, we're going to be reading through a new text and a number of stories. The name of the text is Heart's Turn, Sinners, Seekers, Saints, and the Road to Redemption by Michael Sujik. The text can be purchased from mechabooks.com, and in this series, we will be covering a number of stories throughout the text, though not all of them. So if you'd like to experience the beauty of the rest of the stories or follow along on your own, the text can be purchased at www.meccabooks.com. Once again, the name of the book is Heart's Turn, Sinners, Seekers, Saints, and the Road to Redemption by Michael Sujik. May Allah Azawajal reward Brother Michael Sujik for the work that he has put into this text, and may Allah allow us to be benefited by these words and allow the barakah that is found in the remembrance of the awliya to descend upon us. So let's jump right into it. Bismillah. The first story is of Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad al-Talaqani. Well past high time. Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad al-Talaqani was a dangerous criminal. He led a gang of ruthless highwaymen on the road between Merv and Bavar during the late 8th century, 2nd century Hijra. The gang beset caravans and hapless travelers, robbed them, beat them, and sometimes even killed them. Al-Fudayl masqueraded as a dervish, wearing sackcloth, a woolen cap and rosary, tusbi, misbah, around his neck, but pious disguise notwithstanding. He was a hardened scoundrel who ruled his gang with an iron fist, keeping inventory and dividing the loot. Yet he had within him the seeds of piety. He was, by nature, dignified and possessed a sense of chivalry. He refused to rob women or penurious travelers, and he would always leave his victims with a portion of their belongings to carry on with their travels. He had a romantic streak, and it was said 
was madly in love with a woman to whom he gave a share of the swag. Al-Fudel's gang caught wind of an approaching caravan and readied themselves to attack. A traveler with the caravan carrying a bag of gold had been forewarned of Al-Fudel's highwaymen, and when the caravan approached this treacherous stretch of road, he took off to find a place to hide his cachet. He came upon a tent and entered to find an ascetic dervish. He asked the dervish if he could leave his bag for safekeeping with him. The ascetic instructed him to place the bag in one corner of the tent, which he did. The traveler returned to the caravan to find that it had, been, it had been attacked and robbed by bandits, who left the travelers fettered, hand and foot. He loosened their restraints, and the ransacked caravan moved on. The traveler stayed behind to retrieve his bag of gold, but when he approached the ascetic's tent, he saw the dervish among the bandits, squatting in a circle and dividing plunder. Ah, I left my gold to a thief, he thought to himself, and made to slip away. But Al-Fudel caught sight of him and called him over. He approached the band of highwaymen fearfully. What do you want from me? he asked. Take your bag from where you left it in my tent, said Al-Fudel. With a mixture of relief and bewilderment, the traveler retrieved his bag and took to the road to catch up with the caravan. Al-Fudel's gang was outraged. How could you let him leave? The entire caravan didn't yield even one dirham in cash, and yet you let him leave with a bag of gold? Al-Fudel replied, This man had a good opinion of me, and I have always had a good opinion of God, and the hopes that he will one day accept my repentance. I justified the traveler's good opinion of me, so that God may justify my good opinion of him. The following day, the gang attacked another caravan. After the event, a traveler from the caravan approached the circle of bandits who were taking their lunch. Who is your leader? he asked the group. He is on the other side of that tree by the river. He's praying. The traveler was confused. But it isn't time for prayer. He is praying supererogatory prayers, he was told. Why is he not eating with you? asked the traveler. He's fasting. But isn't it Ramadan? said the traveler. He is performing a supererogatory fast, said the thieves. The flabbergasted traveler approached Al-Fudel, who was praying with great concentration. When the bandit had finished his prayers, the traveler addressed him. How can you fast and pray and at the same time rob and murder Muslims? Al-Fudel turned to him and asked, Do you know the Qur'an? The traveler replied in the affirmative. Well then, does not God, who is exalted, say, And others have confessed their sins. They have mixed a righteous deed with another evil? Leaving the traveler dumbfounded. His life continued in this strange, dissociative way, mixing crime and piety until one night. As he was atop a wall on the lookout for plunder, for more plunder, a caravan passed, and Al-Fudel heard the traveler reciting. Al-Fudel heard a traveler reciting from the Qur'an. Is it not time that the hearts of those who believe should be humbled to the remembrance of God? Al-Fudel was thunderstruck. His heart pierced to the core and he cried out, It is high time indeed. Nay, it is well past high time. And with that, Al-Fudel fled in shame to a ruin. There he found an encampment of travelers who assumed he had come to rob them. They made to flee, but one from the group said, We can't leave. Al-Fudel is on the road. Good news, cried Al-Fudel. He has repented. Al-Fudel tracked down every one of his victims, restored the wealth he had stolen, and sought their forgiveness. For thirty years, 
No one ever saw him smile, except on the day when his son died. Only then did he smile. When he was asked by a disciple why he, smi why he smiled, he replied, I realized that God was pleased that my son should die, and I smiled to accord with God's pleasure. He became one of the greatest awliya of his age. May God be pleased with him, and may we be inspired by his repentance. Al-Fudail ibn Iyad The Blacksmith's Heart Abu Hafs, Amr bin Salim, lived in Nishapur in the 9th century, 3rd century of Hijrah. He was an illiterate working man, a blacksmith by trade, which gave him his last name, Al-Haddad, the blacksmith. As a young man, he was consumed by desire for a serving girl. He lusted after her. He was desperate to have her. His friends told him about a Jewish magician living on the outskirts of the city who could cast a spell on her. The practice of magic, sihr, is utterly forbidden, haram in Islam. At the same time Abu Hafs lived, the Hanafi jurist Ibn Humam stated categorically that magic is forbidden and that the act of holding it permissible was an act of kufr. So Abu Hafs walked headlong into the haram to satisfy his lust. The magician told him, To begin with, you must not mention God's name on your tongue, or have any good intentions whatsoever for forty days. Then I will prescribe a talisman that will fulfill your desire. Abu Hafs followed the magician's instructions. This meant that he had to abandon prayer, dhikr, and good thoughts, intentions, and actions for 40 days. For a Muslim to abandon his obligatory prayers and even good intentions to satisfy his lusts, lusts through black magic is utterly monstrous. Abu Hafs was on the road to perdition. When he returned, the magician created a talisman so that the woman would succumb to his charms. The talisman failed, and Abu Hafs returned frustrated. There is no doubt that during the forty days some good was manifested in you, said the magician. Otherwise, I am absolutely certain that you would have achieved your desire. Abu Hafs protested, I have done nothing. He cast about in his memory to see if there was anything at all that he had done to undermine the spell. He had meticulously followed the magician's instructions. The only thing I can think of is that on my way to receive the talisman, I kicked a stone out of the road so that no one would trip on it. When he heard this, the magician was shaken to the depths of his being. He had seen the reality of God's vast omniscience and immense generosity. You should never offend a god who has not let such an insignificant act be wasted even though you willfully neglected his commands for forty days. He recognized God's compassion and power, and at that moment, the Jewish magician accepted Islam. Seeing the magician's sudden change of heart, Abu Hafs turned to God and changed his life. Abu Hafs continued to practice his trade, keeping the miracle he experienced to himself. Every day he earned one dinar. At night he gave his earnings to the poor and secretly left money for widows. After the night prayers, he would then set out to beg for his sustenance. When he was overwhelmed with hunger, he would go to the public basin where women washed vegetables and pick over the leavings. He continued in this way for some time, until one day, 
a blind man passed through the market reciting, Were those who work evil to possess all that is on the earth and the likes of it besides, they would seek to ransom themselves with it from the terrible punishment on the day of resurrection. And there would appear unto them from God that they had not reckoned. This verse overpowered the blacksmith's heart and he fainted dead away. When he revived, he returned to his work, but he was so distracted that instead of pulling iron from the fire with his tongs, he reached into the furnace with his hand and pulled out the white-hot iron, laying it on the anvil for his apprentices to hammer. When they saw Abu Hafs turning the iron with his bare hands, they cried out, Strike! he shouted. Master, where shall we strike? they asked to the iron. The iron is clean. At this, Abu Hafs came to his senses, seeing the iron in his hand, and flung the metal away. At that moment, he left his trade never to return. I long desired to deliberately give up this work, and I failed, until this event came upon me and forcibly wrested me from myself. Though I kept trying to abandon this work, all was to no purpose until the work abandoned me. Abu Hafs al-Haddad exchanged his trade for the path to God, struggling against his lower self in a life of solitude and contemplation. He kept company with Imam Abu Qasim al-Junaid, the Wali Abu Bakr Shibli, and other great men of the way. May God be pleased with them. He had great tenderness of heart and loved the poor. When he arrived in Makkah al-Mukarramah to perform the pilgrimage, he saw a crowd of destitute pilgrims. He conceived an aching desire to relieve their poverty, but he had nothing to give. He was so overcome by his longing to give to the poor that he picked up a stone from the earth, and in his heart cried out to God, By your majesty, if you do not give me something to give, I will break all the lamps in the haram. He then began his circumambulation of God's house. In his first circuit, a man approached him and handed him a purse of gold, which he spent on the impoverished pilgrims. Abu Hafs, Amr bin Salim. Sincerity in Action Malik ibn Dinar was born in the 8th century, the son of a Persian slave from Kabul. He was, himself, free from bondage and made his way in the world. As so happens with one born to poverty and deprivation, Malik was intensely ambitious and obsessed with acquiring status and worldly possessions. He was a handsome, clever young man and achieved great success and wealth in the world. He settled in Damascus and frequented the city's great mosque, which had been richly endowed by the Umayyad Caliph. Malik decided that he wanted the prestige of being appointed the superintendent of the great mosque. To this end, for an entire year, he made a great show of his piety, attending every prayer and taking a place in a prominent quarter of the mosque to perform supererogatory acts of worship for all to see. In this way, he calculated that the congregation would elect him as the most deserving of this position. He knew what he was doing was wrong. What a hypocrite I am, he would reprimand himself. But he couldn't stop. He craved the recognition. In the evenings, he would leave the mosque and indulge in worldly pleasures. He played the lute and would entertain his cronies late into the night. One night, as he was playing his lute, his audience had all dozed off. In the silence, the lute spoke to him. Malik, what is wrong with you that you do not turn away from your sins? 
Malik dropped the lute in shock and ran to the mosque bewildered and afraid. He said to himself, For one year I have worshipped God to show off my piety. Isn't it better for me to worship God for his sake? Malik was filled with shame. He had coveted an appointment to take charge of the great mosque and made a display of piety to achieve his ambition. He now decided that if asked, he would refuse. He made sincere tawbah. That night he spent alone in the great mosque and prayed to God with a sincere heart. The next day, the congregation assembled. One of the members pointed out that there were cracks in the mosque. A superintendent should be appointed to oversee the care for the mosque. The congregation unanimously agreed that the best person for this position was Malik. He was, after all, a man of wealth and accomplishment, and most importantly, he was obviously pious. Malik was in a corner at prayer. Representatives from the congregation approached him and waited while he finished his cycle of prayer. They then asked him to accept the position of superintendent. Malik cried out, O oh God, I worshipped you hypocritically for an entire year to achieve this position and no one paid attention to me. Now that I have given my heart to you and have firmly resolved not to accept this appointment, you have sent twenty men to me to give me this responsibility. Subhanaka, I don't want it. Malik ran from the mosque and dedicated the rest of his life to the purification of his heart, abstinence from, abstinence from the world, worship, and wor remembrance of God. He became a disciple of Al-Hasan al-Basri and achieved great stations of knowledge of God. May God be pleased with him. Malik was reported to have said, The deeds that I love best, the deed that I love best is sincerity in action. Al-Hujwiri explained Malik's statements this way, Sincerity bears the same relation to an action as the spirit to the body. As the body without the spirit is a lifeless thing, so an action without sincerity is utterly insubstantial. Although a man should keep his heart sincere for a thousand years, it is not sincerity until his sincerity is combined with action. And although he should perform external actions for a thousand years, his actions do not become devotions until they are combined with sincerity. Malik ibn Dinar. Best Wish Abu Mahfuz Ma'aruf ibn Firuz al-Kharki was born of a Christian parent was born of Christian parents in Baghdad during the last part of the 8th century. At the Christian school he attended as a child, his teacher instructed him to affirm the Trinity. Say God is the third of three. Young Ma'aruf refused. No, he is God the one. The teacher gave the boy a beating so severe that Ma'aruf ran away from the school in his home. His distraught parents searched for their young son with no success. If only he would come home, we will agree to whatever faith he wants to follow. Islam was the religion Ma'aruf had chosen and he ran away to an imam to make his declaration of faith. Then he came home to his family. His parents were overjoyed at his return. What faith have you adopted? I have accepted the religion of Muhammad, the messenger of God. Upon hearing this news, his loving parents both accepted Islam. Ma'aruf studied his religion with the great scholars of Baghdad and disciplined his soul with rigorous practice until he attained a high station and became one of the greatest awliya of his time. 
One day he was walking beside the Tigris River with his students when their path was cut by a group of rude, carousing youths on their way to a wine party on the water. Their behavior was outrageous, offensive, and profane. Maruf's followers were enraged. Master, they employed their guide, please pray to God Almighty to drown them all and that the world will be rid of their foul presence. Maruf complied, asking his companions to raise their hands in supplication. They did. Then he prayed, O God, as you have given them a happy life in this world, even so, grant them a happy life in the next world. His disciples were stunned. Master, what is the secret of this prayer? He with whom I am speaking knows the secret, Maruf replied. Wait for a moment, and, God willing, the secret will be revealed. Suddenly, the rude youths noticed the figure of the wali on shore. They were shaken to the core. One by one, every single young man on the barge broke his musical instrument and poured away his wine into the Tigris. They disembarked and rushed to the sheikh. They were trembling and fell down before Ma'aruf al-Kharki and turned to God away from their dissolute lives. His students looked on in amazement. You see, said Ma'aruf, your wish has been realized without drowning or suffering. Walk on water. Habib al-Ajami was a medieval loan shark. He lived in Basra and amassed a fortune from usury in defiance of the Quranic prohibition against it. In ancient times, usury was beyond the pale in Muslim lands. Usurers were considered to be cursed and unclean. The Messenger of God وسلم, cursed the one who accepted usury, the one who paid it, the witness to it, and the one who recorded it. When children playing on the street saw him passing, they would scatter in fear and revulsion. Habib, the usurer is coming. Run away, or his dust will settle on us and will be as accursed as he is. Habib didn't care. His heart was hard and cold. He was a nasty piece of work. He doggedly made his rounds, collecting from his debtors, and whoever couldn't pay, he would demand compensation for his shoe leather. One day, he made his wife... He made his way to one of his debtors to collect his interest payment. The debtor's wife answered the door. My husband isn't here. Habib still demanded his shoe leather payment. I have nothing to give you, said the debtor's wife. But the usurer wouldn't leave until he extracted something from the wife. We sacrificed a sheep some days ago, she said. I only have the neck remaining. I can give you this as compensation. Good. That's something anyway, replied Habib. So go, put a pot on in the fire and cook it for me. But I don't have any bread or fuel for the fire. I'll go and bring you fuel and bread, but I will add this to what you owe me, the usurer said. So Habib went off to the market and returned with bread and fuel and invited himself into the house and waited for his debtor's wife to cook his meal. Just before the woman was about to pour the stew from the pot into a bowl for Habib, a beggar knocked at the door asking for alms. Habib shouted impatiently, If we give you what we have, you won't become rich and we will become poor. The beggar pleaded with the woman to give him something to eat. In spite of the threatening presence of the usurer, she lifted the lid of the pot to give the mendicant some of the stew and turned pale. The stew had turned into black blood. She cried out to her uninvited guest, 
Look what has happened to us because of your cursed usury and your reviling this poor beggar. What will become of us now in this world? What will become of us in the next world? Habib looked into the contents of the cooking pot and beheld the women's anguish and the beggar's need and felt a fire rising within him that never left him for the rest of his life. Woman, he said, I have turned away from all that I have ever done. And he left, chastened and repentant. His heart had turned in Tawbah. The next day, Habib ibn Muhammad al-Ajami set out to track down all those he had lent money to and taken usury from, from with, the, with the intention of recompensing them. As he walked through the streets, the children scattered and rebuked him, and for the first time their words cut him to the quick. On his way to redress the wrongs he had committed, he passed by a gathering. A discourse was in progress, and the speaker was Al-Hasan al-Basri, the greatest wali of the age. May Allah be pleased with him. As Habib passed by, Al-Hasan's words struck his heart like a hammer of light, and he fainted dead away. When he revived, his heart had turned away from the world to God. Al-Hasan was beside him, calming the turbulent penitent. Habib's heart had turned again in Tawbah. As he left the gathering, he passed one of his debtors who made to run away from him. Habib called after him, You don't need to run away. Up to now, it was for you to run away from me, but now I must run away from you. As he walked away from the meeting with Al-Hasan, the children who had fled from him just a short while before now cried out, Here passes Habib, the penitent. Run away, lest our dust settles on him, for we are sinners against God. My Lord and Master, cried Habib, because of this one day that I have made peace with you, you have beaten the drums of men's hearts for me and broadcast my name abroad for virtue. Then he issued a proclamation, Whoever wants anything from Habib, come and take it. The people gathered together, and he gave away all his possessions until he was penniless. He withdrew to a retreat on the banks of the Euphrates and gave himself up to the worship of God. He studied with Al-Hasan al-Basri day and night. Habib spoke only Farsi, and despite great effort, he could not learn the Qur'an in Arabic, and for this he was nicknamed Al-Ajami. Habib al-Ajami became a transcendent wali known for many miracles. In some respects, he outstripped his master. At one point, officers of the ruthless Umayyad enforcer al-Hallaj bin Yusuf were tracking down al-Hasan to imprison him. Al-Hasan went into hiding in Habib's cell. They found Habib at the retreat and asked him where al-Hasan was. He said, He's here. Where? they asked. He is in my cell. He's hiding there. The officers went to Habib's cell, but they found no one. They returned to Habib. He is not there. I swear by God that he is in there. He is there in my cell. They returned seven times to the cell and found no one. So they beat Habib and left the retreat. Once they had left, Al-Hasan emerged from Habib's cell and upbraided his disciple. Habib, you did not observe your duty to your master. You pointed me out. I know that it was from your barakah that they did not discover me, but you should have concealed me. Master, replied Habib, it was not because of my barakah. It was because I told the truth that you escaped. If I had lied, we would have been arrested. What did you recite that they did not see me? asked Al-Hasan. 
I, I recited the Ayatul Kursi ten times, Habib answered. I recited Amana Rasulu Bima Unzila ten times, and I recited Qul Allahu Ahad ten times, and then I prayed, O oh God, I have committed Al-Hasan to you. Watch over him. On another occasion, Al-Hasan came to the banks of the river Tri Tigris. Habib approached him. Master, why are you standing here? he asked. I wish to go to a certain place. The boat is late, Al-Hasan al-Basri replied. Master, what has happened to you? Habib demanded. I learned all that I know from you. Expel from your heart all envy of other men. Close your heart against worldly things. Know that suffering is a precious prize and see that all affairs are from God. Then set foot on the water and walk. With that, Habib stepped on the water and walked across the Tigris. Al-Hasan swooned. When he recovered, the people asked him, Imam of the Muslims, what happened to you? My student, Habib just now reprimanded me. He replied, Then he stepped on the water and walked across the Tigris while I remained powerless. If tomorrow a voice cries, Pass over the fiery pathway, if I remain like this, what can I do? Habib, Al-Hasan asked later, How did you discover this power? He replied, I make my heart white with contemplation, while you make paper black with ink. It would appear that Habib had reached the station of Oba, but God knows best. Al-Hasan sighed, My learning profited another, but it did not profit me. Habib Al-Ajami Alhamdulillah, that concludes the last story of this episode. So once again, uh, as I shared in the beginning, we'll be covering a number of stories throughout this text, and we will not cover all of them. And so if you would like to experience the rest of the stories of this book, uh, or just want to follow along as we read through them, the book and the text can be purchased at www.meccabooks.com. The book is Hearts Turn, Sinners, Seekers, Saints, and the Road to Redemption by Michael Sujik. Thank you so much for listening. Jazakumullahu khairan. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to podcast at safinasociety.org. And if you would like to support the Safina Society podcast, you can become a subscriber and a Patreon subscriber at www.patreon.com slash sspodcast. Jazakumullahu khairan. And thank you very much. May Allah benefit us from the stories that we listen to, the stories that we read, and the stories that we uh, experience throughout our lives. Uh, may Allah accept from me first and foremost and allow me to continue this work, inshallah. Please make dua for me. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. See you next time. Oh,